You're listening to Wordslinger Podcast, episode 151, Rewriting Past Mistakes with David Gochran. This episode of the Wordslinger Podcast is brought to you by draft to digital Convert your manuscript, distribute it online, and get support the whole way at DraftToDigital.com. It's the Wordslinger Podcast, where story matters. Build your brand, write your book, redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours? Now, here's the guy who invented pants optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the word slinger. Word slinger. Hey, it is Kevin Tomlinson, and that's right. I created pants optional. I'm trademarking it so no one else can use it. Uh, we'll call we'll hashtag uh, pants optional. <laughs> Pantsgate. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about with that, uh, it's okay. We've covered it <laughs> for a couple of weeks now, um, and uh, and I'm, I have I purposely have not looked at uh, any updated news on that, uh, just because I didn't want to end up accidentally including it in this episode and did it anyway. So, um, uh, thanks for tuning in. Now we today. I've got a great interview, and uh, I'm going to confess, uh, and I kind of mentioned this at the beginning of the, the interview, I actually had interviewed uh, David Gochran uh, earlier, <laughs> and then when we, when I went to make the uh, interview live, um, it wasn't there, uh, and, and so I reached out to him, we set up another time, uh, so, and, and it, it's because there were a couple of things that happened. There was a sort of perfect storm of things that happened. I lost his interview and I lost one other. Um, but, uh, you know, these things happen. It doesn't happen very often for me, but, uh, it's happened once or twice, um, that, you know, an interview didn't get saved in the right place or something and it got deleted. And then, you know, with all the packing and moving that we were doing earlier this year, um, you know. Things happen. So I'm glad that he was a, uh, a gracious soul, came back, hung out with me. Uh, we had a great conversation, completely different topic than what we discovered, uh, discussed the first time uh, by design because uh, we, we didn't want to leak some things that uh, we talked about in the first <laughs> <laughs> the first interview. Um, so it all worked out. It all worked out for the, for the best. So, um, and David, thanks again. If you're listening, uh, I do appreciate you, uh, taking the time, man. Um, so we're going to, we're going to hop into that interview. Uh, so much going on. I got some, some industry news you're going to want to hang out for at the, uh, after the interview. Um, some, some cool and interesting stuff. Uh, not, you know, there's probably a lot more breaking news this week than I, really uh dove into uh but i actually uh, dig up a couple of editorial style things that i want to discuss so it's maybe not so much news i got one real news item and then a couple of editorial items um but it's a great discussion i'd love to hear what you think uh i did have someone point out to me that last week i uh inadvertently (laughs) uh, credited nick thacker as having written the atlantis riddle and uh, I'd like to correct the record now. Uh, Nick Thacker wrote The Atlantis Deception. I wrote The Atlantis Riddle. <laughs> so, uh, there's too many too many of these things. And Nick and I have too much crossover, I think. Um, Nick is actually working on another Atlantis book right now. I don't know what it's going to end up being called. He asked me to help him title the thing. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm tapped out. I don't know... <laughs> I don't have any other combinations of words for Atlantis um, that haven't been used already, but maybe we'll think of something. Uh, so that that happened. Thanks for uh, pointing that out. Um, I also had Roland Denzel tell me that my bit.ly links are hurting his ears. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I'll come up with something eventually. But you know me, eventually can take a long time on this show. Um just because I, I, you know, I got a, I got a lot going on. I'm going to piece it all together. Oh, uh, quick, quick uh, mention. If you're going to be at Houston's Comic Palooza this weekend, that's uh, the 25th through the 27th. Um, I'm going to be there all three days. I've, I'm on uh, at least three or four panels. Uh, I've been invited to do a, uh, a book signing, a um, couple of them actually, and uh, I'm doing some uh, reader Q and A stuff. So uh, come on by, so, search me out. You can find me um, mostly on the third floor, I think, through most of that. So uh, third floor, go all the way to the end, George R. Brown Convention Center. <laughs> We're all the way tucked at the very end 
of the uh, third floor of the building. So go find the literary track down there. And I'm going to be on the floor too. I don't miss a chance to get out on the floor and, and uh, you know, I meet friends that I've known for years there. And I've I, some of the people who are much bigger celebrities than me are friends of mine. So I, I go hang out with them too. So go check me out at uh, Comic Belooza. And now, without further ado, let's jump right into this interview with David Gochran. You're going to get a lot out of this. Uh, and I'm, I'm very grateful he came back. So check this out and then stick around for the uh, industry news after this. See you there. Hey everybody! Thanks for tuning in. Um, now I'm going to start this this entire interview with a major mea culpa. Uh, what you did not hear was the entire hour long interview I did with David Cochran. Um, I don't know, David. It was, it was a couple of months ago, right? <laughs> it, was, it was it was the greatest interview of all time. It was. Yeah, yeah. All those celebrities dropping in: George Clooney, the Royals. You know, I can't believe I got out my banjo. That was, I never do that. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Lost to history. That one is lost to history. But welcome, uh, David Gochran, for, uh, uh, you know, and thank him for uh, reappearing graciously. Uh, he's the author of Let's Get Digital, among other uh, fantastic books. He's a, uh, he's very supportive of the indie author community uh, and has some fantastic fiction as well. I, I, I'm loving Liberty Boys and, uh, some of your other stuff, man. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. And just, just for everyone uh, watching and listening, the, uh, the introduction last time was actually twice as impressive. So just, just pretend <laughs> I'm much more important and, and entertaining and this should go. Uh, I, I, I feel, I feel terrible. I, I love, I love David and everything he does for the community and everything he's out there doing. Um, and, uh, I, I, this is, that's the first, that's the first of two, uh, interviews that got lost in the transition to my new space. I have to apologize to Brian Meeks too <laughs> and get him back on the show. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you okay. There's so much we could talk about and there's so many things going on in the industry right now that I, I I'm so tempted to talk to you about, but then it's, we'll get off in the weeds, man. But um, what, let's just hop into the stuff you want to talk about most. <laughs> What do you got going well, on right now? Well, right now I'm just I'm launching a new a new website, um, which has been a job that has been uh, going on since probably last October on and off, which mm -hmm. had to kind of go on pause while I was writing a bunch of new books and releasing new books. But it, it's something I've been working on for ages, and uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's exciting to no one else probably except for me. But I'm very very excited about it because. It's a it's a custom WordPress team, and it's got all sorts of exciting things going on under the hood with Facebook pixel tracking and and most importantly for me, because um, I write fiction and nonfiction, and uh, the nonfiction sells more than the fiction, which means um, the nonfiction stomps all over my fiction in terms of the also bots. Yeah. So it's it's a recurring problem for me where I can organize a promotion for for my historical novels. And they'll sell pretty well during the promotion, and then it'll just fall flat afterwards. And yeah. and the problem with that is my Altabots are, are are polluted at this point. So one thing I, I started doing about a year ago is I, I started kind of divorcing myself because I I'd done everything wrong from the start. So I started splitting up my mailing list, splitting up my web presence, and just building walls between my two audiences. Whereas before, I was trying to get crossover. I was trying to get people who enjoyed my writer books to check out my fiction. And yeah. vice versa, and now I'm not. I'm, I'm. It's almost like I'm two two different people. Like I, I, I have a website with with very little links going back between the fiction side and the nonfiction side. You, you'll be doing very well to if you go to my author website now. You'll be doing very well to even find a link over to the fiction side of the website. Like it's 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 actually totally hidden, which is right. the exact exact opposite of what I used to do. No, it's really yeah. funny. Um, it, which is just a, a nice way of saying that I did everything wrong the first time around. Um, but you live and learn, right? <laughs> yeah, man. I, and I, I, I need to pay close attention to what you do there. Cause you know, I, I suffer from a, a similar problem. Um, not that my, my nonfiction does not sell my fiction. Thank God. Uh, yeah. But you know, I have a, I have crossover in my audiences, but so you, you know, I've, I've recently interviewed a couple of folks um, who uh, write with pen names specifically for that reason, I mean, do you think, I mean, is, is that something you're considering or would have considered had you, uh, if you could do it all over again? 
Yeah, if I could do it all over again, I would definitely um, put the nonfiction out under a slightly tweaked name, even even just an initial or something like like Ian M. Banks did. That's enough um, to distinguish it as a separate author in the eyes of the Amazon, the all-powerful Amazon algorithms. Um, yeah. But yeah, like I think it's something that a lot of, because a lot of authors, you know, write in more than one genre and it's not always like um, science fiction and fantasy where there might be some natural crossover. Often it is two genres which have little or no crossover. And our natural inclination as, as artists is, you know, because I, I, I think, you know, writers generally probably have a bit more eclectic taste than the average reader. Like you meet readers who will only read military science fiction um, and nothing else, or they'll only read grim, dark, epic fantasy, whatever. Um, whereas I think writers might be a bit more kind of intellectually curious about checking out some other stuff. So yeah. we, for, we forget that, that um, first of all, that readers probably aren't as adventurous in their tastes as we are. But secondly, it, and this is the real problem, um, it's, it's the Amazon algorithms. Like, uh, like Amazon have built this amazing system for figuring out what readers like and then recommending them more of it. Um, and, and lots of us have built careers on the back of that where you know, we, we, we figured out a way to launch books or promote books and then Amazon system will take over and do the selling for us. And a lot of us made our names under that system. But, you know, there is another side to that where um, if Amazon system gets, doesn't get a clear read on, on what kind of book it is, uh, then it'll start recommending your book to the wrong people. And then the wrong people obviously won't buy it. And then the system will think your book isn't very popular or good and stop recommending it to people. Yeah. Like I had a, I had a very clear um, instance of that when I launched, I think it was my second historical novel and it, it was a bit more commercial and it had an American protagonist. So I, I, I thought I'd, you know, really go for it and do an aggressive launch, launch it at 99 cents and push it to my writer crowd. Cause I, I built up a platform there uh, faster than I did on the fiction side. And I figured, Hey, you know, they'll, they'll either buy it maybe because they want to support me or because they're curious to see what my writing style is like, or, or maybe because they're actually kind of interested in historical fiction. Yeah. And, you know, the launch went pretty well, but then a week later, all my also bots changed into writer books on my historical novels. So, you know, I knew straight away I was in big trouble and uh, I, I sold barely anything then. I think I sold like 500 or something in the week of the launch. And then the following week I sold like two or three copies. And then I was selling like one a month for the next two months. It was a total disaster. And that was because yeah. Amazon system had the wrong idea of what kind of book it is. That, and that's a great example of um, sort of the short-term thinking rather than a long-term strategy, right? Because yeah. Yeah, totally. the idea is I want to make as much money as I can off of off this, uh, this book launch. And, so, and I've got an audience over here that likes and appreciates me, uh, but it may not strategically be advantageous. Yeah, and like, you know, I think it's okay to tell people outside your target audience about a book, but only yeah. only after a while, only after like, you know, the right also bots have firmly attached themselves to your book and mm -hmm. Amazon system already has a clear idea of what kind of book it is because it, it's at its most vulnerable at the very start. And um, that's when it's, you know, it's, it's a real danger to, to expose that book to people outside your target audience. Like I, I wrote a blog post last year which had the title uh, "Please Don't Buy My Book," yeah, um, and it was it was just about the the natural inclination we have when when we create something we want to share it with the world, um, but we really shouldn't. Like we shouldn't tell our friends and family or our colleagues about our book unless they are genuine readers of that genre. Um, mm -hmm. Not not until it, it it's out for a little while, and, and it's already found its first few readers, and those also bots have attached, and they're and they're pretty stable then at that point, I think it's safe to, to tell people outside your target audience about it. Yeah. You, you know, you talk about this in, uh, you have one of the best uh, lead magnets of, of anyone out there, uh, by the way, with Amazon decoded, um, which is free. If you sign up on is it still free on your website? It is still free. Yeah. I've no plans to, uh, to change that in the, in the short term. Anyway, I might, I might, um, beef it up and release a paid version at some point and then swap in something else. But I think it works. It work, it's working really well as a, as a reader magnet. So at the moment I'll just leave it. Yeah. I'll buy it. If you, uh, if you beef it up, I'll buy it. There's a lot of wisdom crammed into that. So you got at least one sale is what I'm saying. All right. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't take calculations. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, but you talk about this very thing. Um, and, uh, and I want to talk about, you know, let's get digital, which kind of everybody, it's one of the, uh, uh, staple books, um, that everyone coming into the industry reads or should read. Uh, and then you recently released, uh, strangers to Superfan, which I'm still reading. I've, 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 you know, we've got our to be read piles. I, I started reading it and I had to put it aside while I read everyone's arcs that I promised to read, but I'm, I'm reading it and it's already uh, been impactful. So what's the strategy there? You've got all these uh, author centric books. Um, I'm always curious when people do both uh, nonfiction and fiction, I, I'm walking that line myself, but I keep, I keep kind of trying to tip myself back towards fiction entirely but you clearly have a strategy. Like what's, what's the plan overall for, for both these channels? I know you're dividing them up a little more. I have absolutely no strategy. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Um, like <laughs> That's when okay. I, when, I, when, I, when I released Let's Get Visible in 2013, I swore I would never write another book for writers because, you know, trying to figure out all those algorithms and everything almost broke my brain. Yeah. And uh, I was just like, never again. And I'm just going to be writing fiction full time. But I keep getting pulled back into it, you know? And like, it was after I did the second edition of Let's Get Digital, I was like, okay, definitely done now. But then, you know, a few years later, my mind starts kind of circling the ideas again. And and, and right now I'm, I, I'm definitely gonna be, definitely gonna have at least one more book for writers, um, probably something on BookBub ads, but possibly something on Facebook ads as well. Cause I think I've yeah. got a slightly different approach that other people aren't um, using at the moment. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I think I, I found a way to kind of stealth write books because like right now, because I, I spent the last year working on nonfiction and I'm just desperate to get back to fiction. Well, I actually started a new book there a few weeks ago, a pen name book, actually, an, an experiment. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to write at least three novels, I think, before I can write any more nonfiction because it, it's been too long since I've released any fiction. And that's yeah, that now needs to be built up again. It starts to numb your soul. Uh, when I when I go long stretches without doing the fiction, I, I, I get this. I start getting more and more anxious. <laughs> yeah, no, like I, I, I totally agree with that. And I think there's a danger in letting the skills get rusty too because it's, it is a totally different skill set. Like, well, for me anyway, I find nonfiction really, really easy to write. Um, I can kind of do it in my sleep. Yeah. And I find fiction like a near impossible challenge. But I, I enjoy it much more. Maybe... Maybe because it is more challenging, I don't know. Um, but like, I think there's so many more moving parts than than in a like kind of how-to nonfiction book. Yeah. Um, so I enjoy that. I enjoy that kind of challenge. But I feel like I, I just started a new a new book, and the plotting side of it was fine. Like you know that I whizzed through that, got a fairly tight plot. But then when it came to the actual starting the writing part, then like you know I had my my writing muscles felt all flabby, and I could barely lift up you know the little bar on its own without without any weights on it so yeah i i i don't want to leave it too long again um you know i'd like i'd like to make fiction more the priority going forward but i i still think there's like there's enough new marketing strategies and approaches and tools and stuff where i think i'll always have something to say on the on the writer side of things yeah now you mentioned you're you're writing the something under a pin name have you written under pin names before i haven't no this this is the first time Okay, because that's the thing that I always wonder about, and I need to ask more um, more writers who are using pen names. I need to talk to more of these folks because the thing that always uh, got to me was uh, it seems like I'd have to start completely over with marketing. Um, and you get some advantages in that you have resources, but then you lose the advantage of the platform. Have you have you worked out a strategy for uh, for that? Well, um, in, only in part. I was going to worry about the writing first and, and then the marketing might, might, might come along the way. But it's going to be in KU. Like everything I'm doing is wide at the moment and everything yeah. I'm building towards is, is kind of wide as a long-term play. But this pen name, because I know how to work the KU system. I just write in the wrong, in the wrong genres. But this is going to be in a, in a KU genre. And it's, it's, it's actually designed from the bottom up as, as a KU experiment just to see what I can do when I write something that's more squarely in the right genres for KU. And um, yeah, like I'd, I'd like to put into practice, like because I, I, I manage marketing for another author and he's all in with KU and yeah. I know how to work that system really, really well. Um, but 
historical fiction and nonfiction, I don't think are great KU genres. Like historical fiction, the readers just simply aren't there. They're yeah. more wide. Uh, well, they're, they're, there's not too many of them wide either. That's another problem. But uh, with the nonfiction, with the how-to books, I find that people want to own them. And that yeah. even when they were selling well and very visible on Amazon, even when they were ranked very high after promotion, they weren't getting any borrows. Yeah. And I talked to a few KU subscribers and they said, no, 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 I, I, I bought that. I don't want to borrow that. I want to be able to refer back to it, which, which makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So because I, I know how to work the KU system, but I'm writing in the wrong genres, it made, it made sense to me to try writing in, it, it's, it's science fiction, um, basically. Um, but a particular niche in science fiction that I think is kind of underserved at the moment. And um, I've always read more science fiction than, than historical fiction. I've, I have a few trunked science fiction novels. Like it was always on the plan to write some at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made sense now to, because like I, while I do have a list and I do have a platform, none of those people are there to read science fiction by me. Right. So it, it, it's not really starting from zero. I'd be starting from zero anyway if I put it out under my regular name and possibly from a minus, given that the algorithms already think I write totally different kind of books. So right. start fresh, go into KU, see what happens. Are you uh, planning to, like, sort of like with the, the uh, advertising your fiction to your writing crowd, are you going to come out later to your platform and say, by the way, six months ago I published sci-fi if you're interested? Yeah, that, 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 that's the general plan. Unless it totally bombs, and then I will never own up. <laughs> you know, if it has a 1.4 average or something on Amazon and it only sells 10 copies, I'd be, yeah. I'd be walking away from that and, you know, like filing down the license plates and everything, you know, <laughs> throwing the dog tags into the river. Just forget about it. Um, yeah, yeah. But no, the plan is it's, it's not going to be a big secret or anything, you know. I'm, I, um, it's not like, you know, uh, reverse, reverse harem or anything. Uh, I'm, I'm totally going to be owning up to it. Um, but at the start, I do want to protect this also bot, so I won't, I won't be disclosing um, to either side uh, what I'm doing until, until those are hopefully firmly attached after a couple of months. That's really smart. I, I, I find that difficult uh, just because I'm, you know, I, I've written under my own name my whole life, and uh, there's this tendency to, like, once I've got that book ready to go, I, I want to push it out to the world. So... I, I admire your your personal strength. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, like you know, like I'm, I won't be doing like kind of any kind of black ops operation to keep it secret. Like I will be telling like privately some friends and stuff, and it may leak out, but it's no big deal. It's not like you know, like I'm a I, I, I'm a preacher who's writing erotica on the side, and it's going to you know totally destroy my life if anyone finds yeah. it finds out. Um, but you no, know, I have my I have my pen name picked out. Have my titles have. Uh, I'm talking to a cover artist already. I have my domain. I have my domain name. I, that's when I really got committed. When I bought the domain name and put down my my sixteen dollars or whatever it was, uh, <laughs> that, that's when I felt okay. There's no there's no turning back now. I'm doing this, and it's fun. It's exciting, you know. Yeah, and I, I I've I've talked I've talked about this before. Like I've actually considered because I you know I wrote I switched genres. I wrote sci-fi and fantasy for the first part of my career, and then switched to thrillers. Um, and I, I love it, but there's always these other stories in my head and I've talked about maybe launching another pin name and, you know, kind of, and I, if I did that, my feeling is I would start with the advantages of, um, I actually know how to build this now, you know, um, I mean, I have the platform already, but at least I would know the structure of the thing. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah, like you're, 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 you're starting fresh, but like, you know, you have connections and experience and you know how everything works, you know how the algorithms work, you know which ad sites are worth your money and which aren't, um, you know, so, and, and, and if it's not a big secret pen name, like it's, like if you've got to connect at a retailer or whatever, it's, you can be totally upfront, I'm writing under this name, you know, it's not yeah. a big deal. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, there is, there, there, I don't know, like there's, there's a few theories out there that, that, that the algorithms favor new names and new books. I don't know how much there is to that, but um, hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll find out pretty soon yeah. um, if, if there is anything to that. But I, I, I do definitely think that um, when, I, when I launch a historical novel, that it, it counts against me um, that I have all this history of selling books in a different genre. Um, yeah. Like even, even if it's not visible on your also bots, I think it actually affects both sides. I think it just any element of confusion means that 
um, it's it's possible that the algorithm or that the Amazon system will start recommending your book to the wrong readers, or if it's just not getting a clean read on 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 what kind of book it is, it, there's a danger there. I think. So, I talked to a couple of uh, a couple of writers who are uh, relaunching under pen names uh, because they did they did switch genres, um, and uh, one of one in particular was uh, he's basically putting himself as a co-author. What do you think of that strategy? Yeah, like that's that that's possible, but I I would worry there that that the algorithms will will, will import some of your some of your history there, or will yeah. will link link you in the system. Maybe it's safer to do that after a couple of months, once once the system has gotten a read on the book and who it wants to recommend it to. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it might be safer to go under the first name first, but I don't know. Like you know, you only really find out by 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 trying things. Um, that's true. Like I'm, I'm, I'm at the try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like one of the one of the things I'm because like I'm not I'm not walking away from historical fiction. I've just I've just started a, a five or six book series and I've only got one of them out and um, I've the whole thing plotted out and I've got the second one started and, and all that. Um, I just wanted to do something a bit kind of fun and different before I got into the really heavy serious historical research again. Um, but yeah, like if this experiment works, or just I'll be able to judge it just looking at how the book moves and the algorithms and stuff. But I might rebrand my fiction under a slightly different name, put throw in an initial there or a shortened version of my name, or use my middle name or something. Um, I might do something like that. Um, I, I'm still thinking about it because I don't know. There's some I have some internal block about doing that that I want my real name on those books, you know. I'm the same way, man. But I might I might I might just have to get over that if. Uh, there's no point having your real name on them if they're if they're going to be invisible to people, you know. And that's like, true. Yeah. And the last, like the last historical novel I, I released, um, it should have it, it should have done a lot better than it did. Like it it was it was much better written than the first two. I had a bigger mailing list. I had a better promotional plan. I had more juice to throw at the launch, and it and it sold. It was actually my lowest seller, and and that was at the point where I was like, okay, I've got to do something here, you know, because the books are getting better, the marketing spend is getting bigger, my platform is bigger. And the, and the sales are getting smaller, you know, something's not adding up here. Yeah. Um, like there was a few technical problems around the launch where like it didn't get also bought for, for three months, which, you know, that really killed it. But there was other things, I can't just blame that, you know, there was other things going on too, like like my mailing list was getting less responsive. You know, my opens were were falling, my click rates were falling um, because I was mistreating my, my mailing list subscribers. So that's another thing I've been tackling over the last six months or so. I've kind of, revamp my whole approach to email so yeah. like i've kind of been looking at all the different parts of my career and what's working and what's not and doubling down on the stuff that's working and trying to refurbish all the stuff that's not working like like my website was was was, was terrible and now now it's going to be great yeah. um i wasn't so hot on on facebook ads like a year or two ago i was a bit slow to get on them but now i have them rolling pretty well and um, i didn't know anything about book club ads but now um I found all sorts of tricks to get to get book club ads working. AMS is the last one now I have to crack. Like that's 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 the current project. I can't. I just can't seem to get my head around AMS at all. But yeah. like, like there's so many things that I think we can often find it overwhelming. Like, um, especially if you're you're starting out, or if you were like me where you got lazy for a couple of years mm. and kind of let let the grass grow a little bit. It can get overwhelming when you you see just five or six things that are all incredibly complex that you have to wrap your head around. But just take them one by one, you know. I didn't. I didn't do everything at once. Um, I just took it one at a time, you know. Yeah. First, I got better at email, and then, you know, then I got better at Facebook ads, and you just just do it one by one, and then it's manageable. Anybody can do it. Yeah, that's the that's the way I've been looking at it too. Because I got for a while there, man. I was trying to do all of it, uh, and it it was exhausting and stressful, and uh, it it you know there was a point at which I'm like, is this even worth doing anymore? Uh, you and I talked in the, the lost interview, uh, <laughs> about that idea, <laughs> sort of, you know, personal marketing, you know, uh, uh, getting back to having personal relationships with our, our readers and through that reading, that mailing list and that sort of thing. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah. Like, um, I, I did this amazing course, um, last December, Tommy Lebrecht's course, and it really changed my whole approach to email. Like I didn't, like I knew I had issues with my approach to email going in, but I wasn't really prepared to have 
my whole approach like complete like to go against everything I always taught and said like like I I, I was skeptical about some aspects of it going into the class but like what I used to do was for example I only emailed people when I had a new release mm-hmm. um, I, I thought I was being considerate I didn't want to clog up their inboxes I figured everyone was like me they're drowning an email and they didn't want you know yet another you know weekly message that they didn't care about so I, I thought I was being cool and considerate and saying hey look I'll, I'll only email you when I have a new book I won't bother you otherwise but yeah. you know combine that with someone who was like my, my production schedule um, for a variety of reasons slowed down and I was releasing books a lot slower and that's a killer when if you're only emailing people when you have a new book and then you're not producing new books then you know they're not getting any emails at all and they forget about they forget who you are pretty quickly but even that strategy I don't think is is optimal now that I've seen the other way to do it I don't think it's optimal even if you're releasing very quickly um like the transformation since I switched because I switched my my non-fiction side I switched to a weekly newsletter now and I email people just free tips every Friday um usually with a marketing focus something on on reaching readers and building audience whether it's how to do book bub ads or um different hacks to get into extra Amazon categories or whatever. I send something out every Friday. And, you know, it's not like one of these expertly tailored um, emails where they're telling you a story and at the end it comes the punchline with the handout or, you know, some kind of bait and switch where there's a sale at the end or a link to a paid webinar or, or one of those things. I'm just giving every week, just giving. Here's, here's, here's a little piece of information or a tool or something you can use to build your business. And I'm not monetizing it with affiliate relationships are not um there's not some ultimate sell down the road where there's going to be some pivot to a thousand dollar course or something like that that's not the idea the idea is just to build up you know like a like a bank of karma or something like where you're if you're because on my old approach when i was just emailing people telling them i had a new release that was just chaining a string of asks together because even when you're saying hey i've got a new release that's an ask and i didn't realize i thought it was a give it's not. It's an ask. You're asking for their money. Um, and so that's the only time they ever heard from me is when I turned up at their house looking for money. And that's yeah. the kind of relationship I have with my readers, which is, which is not good. Um, but now I'm giving them something every week. And then, you know, on the odd time, every couple of months or whatever, when I say, oh, hey, I could do with some reviews on this book. Or, hey, I've got a new book you might like to check out. Or, hey, here's a book a friend of mine wrote that I think you'll find useful. Yeah. The response then is a lot better. And like I, I've seen it straight away. Like, like my mailing list is, is much, much bigger now. It's much more responsive. The open rates have jumped up, the click rates. But also I'm getting emails back from people every week saying, hey, I really love your emails. So I was like, I never got this before, you know. Yeah, yeah. Let's say they, they're enjoying them or find them useful or, or entertaining or whatever. And I actually feel like I have a connection with my readers that I never really, well, I felt it to a certain extent with my blog, but there's something a bit more personal, a bit more intimate about email. Um, mm. Especially if you write it that way, I think you should always write. Like I, when you're writing a blog, you're talking to an audience. It's like standing up in front of a room of people. But when you're writing an email, I think it's always more effective if you imagine you're writing just to one person. Right. And but but it really does feel like that. And you know, someone will email back and say, "Oh, thank you for this tip. It really helped me with this." And sometimes they give me a tip, and that helps me with my own career. Or um, sometimes you know, just talking out a problem with someone. When, if they say they can't get into a certain category on Amazon, and my tip didn't work for them, and we run down the issues. And then I get a deeper understanding of it. And I think like it's, it's both sides are actually getting more out of the relationship now, not just in terms of, Oh, Hey, this is helping me sell more books. It's actually right. like it, just in terms of like emotional impact on me personally. It's great. Like, like getting, getting these emails back from people every week, telling me they're enjoying the emails. Like I get, I get a real buzz out of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's in, that's exactly the experience I've had. Um, and I, you know, we and I, you and I talked, have talked about this before, but I started, um, really getting personal, uh, and one, once a week, and I don't think this is too frequently actually, or too frequent. Uh, but once a week, you know, I reach out to my, my readers in my mailing list and just fill them in on some things. Uh, you know, and I give them little tidbits of, you know, this week I did some research on this that's going into the next book, or I, I just tell them uh, I'm moving or I'm, you know, just set up my new office or something like that. And I make it very personal. And the response has been fantastic. What I, I get more opens. I get more click through when I do include a link. Uh, it's just overall people care about you more. So they want to help you out more. And I think that's a great way to market your work. 
Yeah, well, they they, they feel they feel more part of it, and and right. it's not. Well, I I guess you could do that in kind of like uh, a, a slimy way, and I guess there are some like kind of uh, internet marketers out there who try and ape that that kind of personal connection. Yeah, but you can but, you but, can tell though. You yeah, can you can always. I, I, yeah, you can tell. You can tell. You can feel the difference. But I think when there is that personal connection, like like they do feel part of it because they are part of it. Like like I've been doing this series on 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 bookbub ads um, with my mailing list on and off over the last couple of months. Like I'll do I'll do an episode of it every every two or three weeks. I'll I'll do another one on bookbub ads, and like. I didn't realize that, you know, first of all, I'm kind of stealth writing a book here, which is a great way to trick my conscience into like, oh, I've just got to do my Friday email. And then I end up writing, you know, a thousand, sometimes 2000 words. Like my, my weekly emails are long. Yeah. Um, but now I've got about 15, 20,000 words in the bank on, on a book of ads book that I didn't even realize I was writing. And then like when I release it, like I'm, I'm sure the people who have been enjoying those, those episodes, We'll probably still buy it again anyway, especially if I don't launch it too expensive. But they'll certainly review it and stuff. And I, you know, like we'll, we'll all get something out of it. Like I, I think when you see something being made, it's more special to you. You know, even if it's yeah. just some guy whittling a boat or whatever. You know, you do feel part of it, even if you're just watching it. But especially if you're participating. And I've been like, and people have been sending me in examples of of ads they like, and and they've been asking me questions about their targeting or why isn't this working, or sometimes showing me an ad that's getting really good CTR. So they are actually participating in the making of a book in, 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 in quite a direct way in, in some ways. And yeah. I think all of that, all of that does help. Like, and it really helped me. And I, I realize now that I'm getting back to what actually made me kind of successful the first time around when I first released the first edition of Let's Get Digital in 2011 and it kind of exploded and like totally accidentally took my career down a way different path. Um, and it was, I was doing this in my blog, I was I was posting each week about how to find an editor, how to find a cover designer, um, how to market your book, how to run a competition on Twitter, and and things like that. And and people were posting in the comments, and I was just learning all this stuff at the time. And like I would find an editor, and then the next week I would, or the next day I would say, hey, I just this is how you find an editor. I learned this yesterday, kind of thing, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. You could get away with that a bit more in 2011. But people are in the comments, and they were they were going through these steps at the same time. They were trying to find an editor. They were trying to figure out how to format a book. So we're all kind of solving the problems together. And then when I actually released the book, actually they told me to put it all into a book. Like I, I don't think I was planning to turn it into a book. And, and one of them just said, can you put it in a PDF so we can download it and print it out while we're publishing our own book? So I was like, yeah. oh, okay. And then I started assembling it. And then I was like, oh, well, you know, if I'm going to do this, I, I better do it properly and write a bit more text on that chapter or whatever and it and it turned into a book and then as soon as i released it it just took off like crazy yeah. and i think a big part of that was because i they were acting like a live beta audience and then when it came out they all bought it even though they'd read it all already in in, in some sense but they all promoted it too like it, it was like a secret army of people out there pushing the book because they all felt uh because they, they, they were a part of ownership yeah. yeah yeah so that's exactly what um, yeah, Andy Weir did that with fiction, you know. Right. Um, so I, I can't imagine it wouldn't work. And I actually think it might work better uh, with nonfiction just because, you know, these folks also have their own platforms. So that, you know, that that buy it to support you thing is great. But, you know, the fact that they would go on and push it to their fellow writers and uh, and get it out there for you is kind of, you know, that's just interesting. I mean, that's a that's a... I love that plan. <laughs> yeah, I, I think sometimes, like, even though even though I know how, like, the Amazon system works and I know yeah. that we're in a model of abundance now, I think sometimes we can still get caught in a scarcity mindset, um, which is what, what what's killing traditional publishers still. Yeah. You know, they, they, they still look at it in a zero-sum way. But I think even, even though we know that's wrong, we can still, I think it's so baked into us um, that we can still fall into that trap again. Like I remember when when Guy Kawasaki released that self-publishing guide that sold like crazy. That yeah. author, publisher, entrepreneur, like he had an open beta group on Google Plus with like two thousand people in it, and he just gave them all a free copy of the early draft of the book, and they all did beta corrections and everything. And that was a huge part when he was talking about why that book was so successful. Obviously, he had a big platform and everything already, but they became like a promotional army for. And they went out and promoted the book. Not only did they buy it, even though they already had a free copy, they all bought it, they all reviewed it. 
they all promoted it to everyone because they felt a part of that book because they they were involved in it you know they 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 did contribute feedback on on a beta version and i don't know how i got away from that and um, after accidentally you know falling into such a great system somehow i got away from that but now i feel like via email i'm kind of getting getting back into that relationship with my readers again i think it's even better um to do that via email than say on a blog though um because you're you're the people who are interacting with you on email they're not just casual observers who dropped in from out of the blue. These are people who are more or less vetted, right? Like they're, they're, they're in it because they want to hear from you. They're, they, they came to the table um, and they, they basically paid by giving you their, their contact information. Whereas someone just casually dropping by on a blog post, you know, could be any random person who may not be the target audience uh, in the end. So yeah, that's no, my theory. And it often is, you know, like, like I've been, I've been blogging a lot about like kind of various scams and stuff going on. So there, there's, there's, I don't know what percentage of, of, of my blog subscribers would be people kind of waiting to see if they get mentioned in a certain, in a certain context. But certainly if I ever talk about, you know, the topic of, of scamming or stuffing or any, any of the, any of the, the kind of cheats that are going on in, in KU at the moment, there's also always a cohort that comes along in, into the comments and it. I think that kind of blocked me up a little bit where, you know, I didn't feel like um, talking about certain topics or I, sometimes I just wouldn't feel like blogging. So like, oh, I don't want to deal with those people or I don't want to throw out a morsel for the audience like when, yeah. when those, those people might benefit. But then I feel like, you know, with my with my mailing list, like that, that that's my crew, they're my people. And I feel very comfortable sharing much more um, with them than I do these days with the blog. And that's probably all in my head, but you know, I have to live uh, with this head of mine. It's firmly attached <laughs> on my body. Um, and so, you know, it's working for me. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna question it too much. I'm, I do want to get the, the, the blog ramped up again now that um, I've moved everything over to a new site. But I mean, do I'm, you still see value in, in blogs though? Do you still see it? Yeah, I do. Like, like there's, like I've had blog posts which have gone which have gone viral, and you know yeah. that's that's not going to happen with an email. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe I need to figure out what kind of content I want to put where. But certainly, if there's a message where I want it to go to the widest possible audience, the blog is usually the best bet for that. Um, mm. But if it's something like if I'm doing a series on bookbub ads that I might ultimately turn into a book, that feels like a much more natural fit for kind of a a semi-private audience like like an email audience I'll, I'll i'll figure out eventually what which which content is going to go in which channel but um yeah that seems like a, a kind of a good split at the moment the blog for 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 campaigning and for like kind of public stuff and 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 the email for private figuring out marketing experiment kind of stuff yeah 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 i can see it okay yeah i i've more or less walked away from um routinely blogging on my site i blog for draft to digital, uh, which, you know, the audience is very specific there. It's very clear, a very clear distinction. Uh, but you know, I was blogging for my readers for a while. And in, and in fact, if I, when I was doing the, I did like a whole short story a day experiment and that was phenomenal. Uh, engagement was huge. Uh, but it's really difficult to maintain. And, uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to continue that or not, but it is something that the readers really love. So Maybe I should rethink it. Short, short, short story <laughs> a day. That that'll probably punch a little hole in your schedule. Yeah, a little bit, but I, you know, it was a it was a challenge. I do stupid, idiotic challenges like that every now and then. Write a book in a day. Write a you know, blog post or a, a short story a day. I do that. I, I, I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, all right, man. Well, look, we we're at, we're at the end. I don't want to take up much more of your time. Um, but I. I, I'm so glad that you agreed to come back. Um, I always love hanging out with you, man. I know we're, are you going to be at Nink again this year? Definitely. 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 Yeah. You know, uh, Joanna Penn wrote me and said she's going to be there this year too. Yeah, I heard. Hang out with her. Yeah, it's going to be fun. <laughs> He's a lot of fun. You know, we do the karaoke thing and she gets into the karaoke thing. Uh, <laughs> and last year you did, I know you sang Valerie at least once. I did. I sang Valerie, and then I sang another song, which we won't mention because uh, it wasn't quite up, quite up, quite up to your standards. It doesn't have to. It doesn't. Well, have I blame. To, I blame the arrangements. It was the arrangement threw me off completely. Yeah, yeah. Well, they they threw me off too, man. He, he one of the songs I did. He, it's like in a, a 
key, like three octaves higher than what I can, what most humans can produce. Uh, but anyway, it'll be good to hang out. We'll, we'll have a blast. Um, we'll, we'll see if we can get security calls. to, to uh, One to, more time. One more time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I consider that one of our finer moments. Um, all right. <laughs> Where can people find you and your work? I know you're splitting these up now, so now now we got two directions to send folks. Where can people find you and your work online? Well, if you just if you just Google my name, David Gochran, um, you'll you'll be able to find me easily. Uh, DavidGochran.com is the main author website for if you want. Like there's hundreds of blog articles there about every different aspect of publishing, and you can you can sign up to my list there, my my weekly newsletter, and get a free copy of Amazon Decoded or or check out my other author books. But if you like historical fiction, you can just go to davidgochranbooks.com, which will actually redirect into a secret half of my davidgochran.com website. But it's a separate separate domain, so it's easy to hand out depending on which audience I'm talking to. Yeah. and I'm cool. on Facebook and Twitter and all that. Facebook, stuff. Twitter, all the uh, uh, MySpace. <laughs> yeah. You'll find. I think, I, think, I think I have a GeoCities site as well. If you look. Man, I miss GeoCities actually. It was the future for people. Rag on it, but I kind of miss it. Uh, all right. Well, everybody listening, uh, you can find links to everything that uh, David does in the uh, show notes of this episode, of course, and just just Google him. He's very Googleable. Uh, just like me, you Google either one of us, we're all over the place. Uh, but right now, you're probably hearing the groovy bridge music, and you may dance in place at will. Uh, we're going to have some news for you, industry news on the other side of the break. Uh, but otherwise, David, man, thanks for being a part of the show, man. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Thank you for sticking around, and we'll see you on the other side. Hey, welcome to the uh, to the other side of the interview. Uh, thanks for listening in on that. I hope you got a lot out of that chat with David. I know I did. I always do. Um, every time uh, David and I hang out anywhere, we at a conference or or anywhere, um, we we get into dialogues. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I and I hope he takes as much away from it as I do. But I definitely learn a lot. Uh, just kind of sitting, chatting with him over a, a beer or whiskey or something, um, and uh, and just hanging out. So uh, great to talk to him. Uh, one of my favorite people. So I hope you really got a lot out of that. We're gonna jump into the uh, the news, but I want to preface. I want to jump first. Of, I want to say uh, now the news is brought to you, of course, by Draft to Digital. Uh, Draft to Digital is where you can actually publish your work. You can convert your manuscript. Publish it worldwide, get support the whole way uh, with a ton of free tools, a ton of free things that can uh, help your, make your book just just awesome. And, uh, you know, they don't charge you for any of that stuff. They only make money when you make money. They take a 15% cut. Uh, 10% is draft to digitals. The rest goes to the sales channel. And that 15% only comes out of your royalties. And it's only when you make a sale. So everybody wins in that scenario. So go check it out, drafttodigital.com slash wordslinger. That'll actually give me a little kickback, and I do appreciate that. That that uh, Any money I make from that supports me, and you don't lose a dime. That all comes out of Draft to Digital's pocket, so you don't lose any money. Uh, so go check that out, drafttodigital.com slash wordslinger. Um, you can also help support the show with a by, you know, clothing yourself and hiding your nakedness and your shame <laughs> go check out i just started a t-shirt line uh, i'm calling it written world tees um you can check this out at bitly i'm sorry it's a bitly link rolling uh bitly slash written world dash tees uh you can find links to all this stuff in the show notes I got a bunch of cool stuff, and as I think of cl- cool and clever things, I do a, I do a design and I upload it. Uh, you can get T-shirts, iPhone cases, uh, you know, tote bags, you know, onesies for your kids, you know, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, go check that out. That'll support me. The, any money I make off that to help support uh, the show and uh, my uh, chicken wing habit <laughs> and my coffee habit. So <clears throat> go check that out. Um, I appreciate it, man. And that's going to be, those are fun. I'm, I'm, I'm about to order uh, one of each of those shirts because uh, I could use a better wardrobe and uh, they're high quality and get a, you can get some pretty cool stuff off that. So uh, thanks for supporting me in that way. Now let's jump into the news. Traditional eBooks are down 
indies are up. That's according to a story in GeekWire, which presents the oddly confusing uh, yet comforting statement: "Ebook sales are dying. Ebooks are insanely popular." <laughs> the the story cites PubTrack uh, Track Digital's re, uh, research results showing a 10% decline in ebook sales from 2017 over 2016. The 450 publishers included in the study saw ebook sales from 170 million units to 162 million. In that one-year span, a second study released by the American Association of Publishers seems to jive with those results, showing a 4.7% drop in ebook sales in 2017 uh, from more than 1,200 publishers. Uh, but all is not lost because the article points out that those studies are both focused entirely on traditional book publishing, um, factory and indie publishing, and you get a revolution of ebook sales, big numbers are hitting the board, including one from Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. And I quote, over a thousand independent authors surpassed $100,000 in royalties in 2017 through the Kindle Direct Publishing platform. Uh, that is c- coming from the uh, their annual statement. And uh, it really uh, d- goes a long way towards negating the rumor, the thing I often hear when when uh, interviewing people from the traditional publishing world, that there are only about 10 people worldwide who are actually making a living from publishing books. I, um, <clears throat> I have always contested that number. <laughs> I can uh, literally, uh, I could uh, pick up my phone right this second and dial uh, more, much, many more than 10 authors that I personally know who are making a full-time living um, by selling, writing and selling their ebooks, uh, all indie publishers, uh, and well, a couple of them are traditionally published, uh, kind of bleeding into hybrid territory there. Um, but it is gratifying to hear that number from Jeff Bezos. It's an interesting phenomenon. I think, um, that article, the article I'm linking to, and you can find this article at bit.ly slash 151-ebooks. Um, <clears throat> this story uh, features Cat Rambo, who is uh, part of the uh, part of CIFWA, which is uh, responsible for the Nebula Awards. I think she's starting to lean our way uh, on uh, publishing and indie publishing in general. <clears throat> she, uh, she had a quote in that article, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but I can give you the gist because it's, it's my sentiment as well. But if you start seeing ebooks uh, priced at more than twice the price of print books, uh, there's something wrong. You're deliberately trying to sabotage something. <laughs> and that's what the traditional industry has done. They have uh, retooled pricing specifically to craft the narrative that ebooks are on the decline. Of course they're on the decline. If I got to pay $25 for an ebook or pay $10 for a print book, um, I'm not going to buy the ebook. Probably not going to buy the print book either, but I will go over to this indie publisher who wrote something very similar and just buy his book or her book or their book. <laughs> Branching off into uh, gender gender identity here. But the point here is that um, the industry, the traditional industry, has gone out of their way to make this decline happen so that they can point to it with glee and say that ebooks are on the decline. On the other hand, uh, according to this article, and according to a lot of research that I have uh, personally done or seen or, or otherwise encountered, um, ebook sales are actually on the rise in phenomenal record-breaking numbers among uh, indie authors. So if you factor in things like Kindle Unlimited, where people are paying 10 bucks a month and downloading primarily indie published work, um, you know, we, we, we can see this scale. Uh, it, it just, it's just mind boggling. So, uh, great story. Go check that out. And, uh, you'll find that of course at bit.ly slash 151 dash ebooks. Um, should we judge a work by its author? Uh, okay. <laughs> Here's where we start getting into editor- editorial stuff. Um, but in the wake of allegations of sexist misconduct, uh, some are asking if we should ignore and inval- invalidate work written by authors such as, uh, uh, Junto Diaz, and I misspelled his name in my uh, my little article here. I apologize. Let me correct that. Um, he's a Pulitzer Prize winner who was accused of forcibly kissing a woman uh, several years ago um, when she was a grad student. 
And uh, a recent editorial in the National Review argues that we shouldn't dismiss a writer or an actor or comedian or artist's work uh, because of that writer's actions. And I agree. Uh, Despite allegations, uh, enough readers have resonated with Diaz's work that that it would be horribly dismissive of us to ban or boycott it. Instead, maybe we should consider that the first, that, you know, that first of all, Humans are capable of producing good work regardless of their past offenses. And second, that we humans are not defined by the mistakes of our past. Um, if we're to grow and evolve, we, we have to accept that people can change. I, and, and that is my position. That's my opinion. But I'm going to stand firm on that idea. The, one, of the thing that, one of the things that has troubled me of late is this idea that um, someone who committed some crime, some, you know, did something, maybe it wasn't even a crime, maybe it was just reprehensible, maybe their behavior 20, 30 years ago um, somehow determines their entire life from that day forward, and they are that mistake. And I can't live with that idea. Uh, Human beings make mistakes, and we grow from those mistakes. It's the only way we can grow. The current culture we live in, uh, demands that we be perfect from day one, and that any mistake we make is a sign of our personal failing as a human being. And, and as if it were a choice to fail, and that failure is then our mark to carry for life. Um, I don't buy that. That's complete crap. You, your opinions may vary. Uh, let me know. I, in the video version of the show, I brought up... Um, Bill Cosby and the Cosby Show. The Cosby Show actually helped shape the lives of millions of Americans, millions of people worldwide, um, and it was known to be a very positive influence in African American homes, uh, encouraging some kids to attend college, to get you know to get better educations and build better lives for themselves than they would have had otherwise. Um, it showed them that a an African American family could actually be educated, wealthy, happy, well adjusted. Um, that, you know, they, there were, there, there was not that sort of message really floating around. Not, at, not until then, uh, maybe, maybe occasionally, but for the most part, we all saw African-Americans on television portrayed as drug dealers and, uh, crack addicts and, you know, gang bangers. And that was what we were being told by the media that that African-American life was like. Um, and then the Cosby show helped to change that. So, Cosby being convicted of being a rapist um, is shocking to everybody, uh, shocked me, but does that negate the good of the work he created? Somebody out there disagrees. <laughs> I don't know what that, one, how that noise was, uh, but I don't believe that it does negate that work. In fact, I believe that it's, the, it's, it's one of the best qualities about humanity is our ability to create work that rise, rises above our own uh, personality, our own failings, our own, uh, you know, everything that we might not like about ourselves, we can create work that rises above that. Uh, if we can't do that, then what's the point? We're just, we're just stuck. You know, whatever mistake you made, uh, first of all, you're 100% responsible for it and can never be forgiven for it. And you can't grow beyond it. Makes no sense to me. So, there we are. If you disagree, I do understand. You can you can yell at me um, at wordslingerpodcast.com. Hit the contact button. Um, I understand. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody necessarily. I do want to wake us up, though, because I, I just hate this idea that, you know, every time someone screws up, every time someone does something hideous or awful in the world, uh, that, that that's it and they can't make up for it. You know, we have to we have to they have to be scum for the rest of their lives. Uh, I just don't believe that. I believe people can make up for their mistakes and create a better world. So if we can't, we're all doomed because we are all, we all screw up. And if you think, if you think for a second, you're above that, um, I got news for you. You're not. (laughs) So, all right, moving on. Um, what can algorithms tell you about your writing? That's the exact word for word title from a recent wall street journal post. Uh, machine learning has come into the spotlight as potentially, quote, your next editor. 
Uh, computer algorithm, algorithms uh, can now be used to determine everything from reading level to mood to the complexity of your ideas. Uh, could this lead to a revolution in automated editing? Maybe. Uh, the technology does give you some pretty handy insights into improving a writing sample. Uh, it doesn't necessarily account for when a, a writer deliberately wants to break the rules. Uh, if you, and if you think about things like the adventures of Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sawyer, if you were to run that through, uh, these algorithms, um, I think you'd get the idea. I don't think that the, uh, the computer would look too favorably on that work. And there are times when a writer is going to want to write something that deliberately breaks the, the rules of grammar and mechanics. Um, it does happen. It is justifiable. So I don't think that we're there yet, uh, personally. But I could be wrong. After watching the, uh, the whole uh, thing with Google Duplex uh, and, and clearly passing the Turing test, um, I could be wrong. We could be... Much further along in that than we uh, than we think. And here's the deal: if a if a uh, computer algorithm can improve your grammar, uh, it's not a huge leap to get to just writing the content directly. Uh, so it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, and what evolves out of this. Let me know what you think of this. I, I, you can test your own writing, it, by the way, on this article. They actually have the little algorithm built into it, uh, a little box where you can drop a sample. Uh, go to bit.ly slash 151-algorithm, and uh, you'll find that story in the little, in the little uh, thing uh, <laughs> to play around with. That's it for this week uh, of the Wordslinger podcast. I'm so glad you dropped by and checked everything out. Um, now, of course, uh, I love it if you support the show. I do want to remind everybody about the uh, Written World Tees, where you can go and uh, pick up some some cool stuff to put on your bod. Uh, that is going to be bit.ly slash written world dash tees. And you'll find all this in the show notes of this episode on wordslingerpodcast.com or wherever fine wordslinger podcasts are sold. <laughs> go check it out. All right. I'm going to get out here and go find out what the heck that noise is outside. And uh, hopefully it's nothing uh, too scary. But uh, I do appreciate you sticking around. I hope you're getting a lot out of the words on your podcast. God bless each and every one of you. And I'll see you all next time.